This is God's word. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants, through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. That's probably reading God's holy word. In the previous passage, the end of chapter 2, there was discussion of the spiritual persons that Christians are, uh, that Christians have the mind of Christ. It was a glorious passage. Paul just got done talking about that in several paragraphs. Well, then why is the church in Corinth having problems? Because even people who are spiritual persons, even people who have the mind of Christ, can still have need for improvements. The church, as Paul is um, laying out for us here and reminding us, the church is not so much a museum of perfect persons, a museum of perfectly formed saints, uh, so that we could slowly tour the church and stop and gaze upon each person that we might see, each uh, display, and, and gaze upon a certain Christian and say, oh, look at him. Perfect. So perfect. Or look at her. Flawlessly reflecting the glory of God. No, Paul writes over in Romans that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. So it couldn't be a museum of perfection saints. Instead of seeing the church as a museum of perfect people, we have to think of the church as a workshop, an artist's workshop uh, for saints still works in progress, sinners still needing to learn the ways of Christ better. And as we walk through and tour the art workshop and we stop to consider each piece of art, we see what God is working on, and we can imagine all the beauty that it will one day be. However, we notice that it's not ready for a museum. Each is a masterpiece, not yet finished. So we look through the church in Corinth in this way, and what do we see? Uh, Various pieces of art, not yet finished. It brings us to our main point that Christ warned us about immaturity in God's co-workers. Number one, spiritual immaturity equals milk-fed, fleshly, and having jealousy and strife. Number two, over-loyalty to certain persons is a sign of immaturity. And number three, the mature know their place and support all glory going to God. So our main point is that Christ warns us about immaturity in his co-workers. We think how this drives us to the cross. Christ's death and resurrection brought us into the church Sinners though we were, converted, yet unfinished art projects of God, as we've been saying. And look how this is reflected in the phrase in verse 1. Verse 1, I'll read again. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants what? See that phrase? Infants what? Infants in Christ. 
In Christ is a key term for Paul always. He uses it through his 13 letters 166 times, as I love to tell you, because it's a key phrase, and it means that they're believers. As I begin to talk about the problems with them, don't forget that Paul sees them as believers. They are in Christ. Infants in Christ, yes, we'll get to that, but they are in Christ. Let's not forget that. Refers to his death and resurrection, the resulting fact that he gave them salvation, the gift of faith, they are found in Christ. That's the gospel news which we gather tonight to celebrate. It was true of them, the church in Corinth. But he has a lot else to say beyond that. So number one, the spiritually immature equals milk-fed fleshly and have jealousy and strife. Allow me to read verses 1 to 3 again. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Don't forget, they're in Christ. They're Christians, and yet he's talking about them being in the flesh. Because... We are all mixed bags. On the one hand, we're in Christ, and on the other hand, we still struggle with our sinful nature. So that's what he's talking about, the fact that they're still in that struggle. They're behaving in a human way, as he puts it at the end. Remember, back in chapter 2, Paul was writing about the Spirit, wisdom given by the Spirit, us becoming spiritual persons. But here now in chapter 3, he's building on that. He's going farther in that same logical pathway The wonder of what the Spirit can reveal to us surpasses all human educational institutions and human imaginations as we looked at in the previous passage. We truly are spiritual persons. We've received this incredible gift from God, which is the mind of Christ. And by the mind of Christ, we're assured of our salvation. That assurance comes to us through knowing God himself. What a blessing is ours. It's truly a privilege to be in God's family. Now the question is, Have these people, to whom Paul's now writing, received the mind of Christ? In chapter 2.16, he's talking as if they had. But as we go to verse 1 of chapter 3, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Which is it? Are they spiritual people or not? Are they in Christ or not? Have they received salvation or not? Notice how Paul says it's how he's addressing them because of how they're behaving. It's not who they are that's in doubt. Their identity is secure. Their behavior is in question. That's why he says they're behaving as if they had not received the mind of Christ. They had not received the spirit of Christ. They needed to be addressed according to their behavior, their performance. They were in need of teaching that met them where they were. Infants who can't eat a sandwich. They can only drink milk. Their operations, the way that they were going about their lives, something about it was infantile. They were being childish. They were acting like spiritual babies. That's a bad sign. They're they're still moved by human drives. They, They seemed in ways to be fleshly. They weren't living out the things that were true about them in Christ. Not according to the spirit, but rather living according to the flesh. As Paul wrote in chapter 1, the bad indicator of the church in Corinth was divisions and rivalries. The formation of many groups within the church in Corinth and the groups had jealousy within the groups, which is what he's mentioning again here. While there is jealousy and strife among you. This is what he's talking about with them. 
It's not spiritual. It's not guided or produced by the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, which he had labored to point out all across the second half of chapter 2. Notice, again, I remind you, he considered them to be Christians. Don't ever confuse that as we work our way through this passage. He's not doubting their conversion. He's being blunt and direct about their actions as immature Christians. They were not ready for the museum. Still works in progress like the rest of us. But they had things left to learn that he's about to teach them. And throughout the rest of the letter, he's teaching various things. He confronted them in our passage today for thinking and behaving in immature ways. They, they could not have the label of mature and also have the label of jealous. They couldn't have the label of mature and also the label of strife. Uh, think about it. If they had various groups all splitting off and then everyone claimed, we're the people of the Spirit, that would look out of place, wouldn't it? But there's hope for the splintering people of the Corinth church that hope was the real reason why any church has unity even today. Unity in a church is not because each of us is so wonderful. Each of us is ourselves a display in a museum. That's not why churches have unity. Churches have unity because Christ has poured out these gifts. The mind of Christ, the spirit of Christ, the growing and maturing of God's work in us, and an appetite beyond milk. The ability to digest and to apply to ourselves spiritual food and teaching. Verse 3 has the prepositional phrase, of the flesh, two times. Because that's Paul's topic. It's of the flesh to not be ready to move on from milk to solid food. It's of the flesh to depend on self. It's of the flesh to possess jealousy. It's of the flesh to have strife among believers. The cure is to leave of the flesh and move on to of the Spirit, to make that migration. It's of the Spirit to remember that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. It's of the Spirit to depend on the Spirit to help us face our jealousy, our strife, our distaste for solid food. Fleshly, or of the flesh, refers to an impulse, not a communal impulse, an individual impulse so that a person's own success becomes more important to him or her than group success. That impulse is itself fleshly. Spiritual refers to the impulse that is communal, so that success, my success, is now defined as group success. Of the Spirit refers to the spiritual truth of having community in heart and mind and actions that build community. Of the flesh, self-interest, self-absorbed, immature. Of the spirit, church-wide interest, group-focused, mature. Of the flesh is to be competitive, to be naive in looking at how Christ looks at his church. Not yet having learned the important, meaty, spiritual truth that we're all on the same team. Of the spirit is gospel Focused, Christ glorifying, unifying, mutually encouraging mindset that says if another person is heavily gifted, that's to our gain. There's no Apollos versus Paul. It's awesome if Paul's gifted. It's awesome if Apollos is gifted. Don't need them to compete. Don't need them to stand out. We're not forgotten when we're benefiting from the other. 
Paul's use of the milk or solid food comparison, the issue of diet, if you will, is a key indicator of maturity level. A baby nurses from a mother or bottle. And when the baby is weaned from milk, that's a significant step forward in the life cycle of that child. A huge and big indicator. He's using that illustration here. The diet change shows something important. How is that an illustration of what we're talking about here? It's an illustration of spiritual truth. It's like milk to hear the teachings of Christ's forgiveness of our sins. We need it. We enjoy it. It's true. But what about more complex issues? Paul's preparing them here for what he's going to get into that gets kind of heavy in the rest of the letter. Paul's going to write about marriage and celibacy. He's going to write about ethical conduct. He's going to write about the nature of freedom regarding food offered to idols. He's going to write about the teaching of the Lord's Supper. He's going to write about how spiritual gifts work. He's going to write about speaking in tongues. He's going to write about the endless applications of the centrality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how it impacts everything. He's going to get into meat and teaching on various topics. Were they ready for those deeper topics? No, why not? Because they still didn't even apply to themselves the basic teaching that we're all on the same team and that we're supposed to be each other's biggest supporters, not each other's biggest opponents. Which brings us to our second point. Over loyalty to certain persons is a sign of immaturity. Verses 4 and 5. It's clearly in the text. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. So in verse 4, Paul says it's human to have favorites. It's human. It's natural. If you belong to a group of doctors, and there's five of them, I guarantee you have a favorite, and you have a second. The third one's okay. The fourth one's okay. You really don't like the illustration. We, we make a big deal about Reformation Day here in our church. And we ask you to learn again about what God did through the reformers and through a certain reform. We highlight a certain reform. We talk about his life story. And now tonight, I warn you about having a favorite reformer. (laughs) Which is it? We follow Christ. We don't follow the reformers. We appreciate what God did in history. We don't follow anyone else. We agree with Calvin, but we're not groupies of Calvin. I don't even like the term Calvinist. I know what they mean by it. It's a shorthand way of saying the five points of doctrine. Fine. I don't make a big deal of it. But I don't like the term Calvinist. We don't follow Calvin. You say Lutheran. We follow the Lutheran teachings in a way. We're not followers of Luther. We don't even follow the Apostle Paul. We don't even follow the Apostle Paul. We follow Christ and only Christ. Now, we all have favorite authors, we all have favorite teachers. And many of you have told me how much you benefited over the years from a certain teaching ministry, a certain author, people you've gone to hear at conferences and preaching, R.C. Sproul, other well-known teachers. These men are gifts from God. Praise God for the gifts he gives. But we cannot insist on them. We cannot follow them. We cannot become groupies of them. Christians follow Christ. And that's what Paul is helping the church to get straight, first and foremost. Then we move to our third point. The mature 
know their place, and support all glory going to God. Verses 6 through 9. I planted a plow of water, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So in verse 6, Paul wrote that he planted. It means that Paul's the first one to bring the seeds of the gospel to Corinth. He planted. Then he writes, Apollos watered, which means Apollos came along and said the same things about Christ. And that's adding water to the seeds already planted. And then there were others who followed Apollos. Paul, Apollos, others. What he's saying to us is what we've already been covering. Many of us have a special fondness and memories of the preacher who led us to Christ for our conversion. Don't you? But Paul was cautioning us here to remain focused. Focused on the Lord God. He's putting it ever so clearly in verse 7. Neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. Let me say that another way. They're nothing. The one who plants, the one who waters are nothing. Calvin and Knox and Wycliffe and Tyndale are nothing. And Sproul and Keller and DeYoung are nothing. You can tell Kevin I said that. I'll say it right to his face. <laughs> All that matters is Christ, the only one who died for us on the cross, the only one who rose again for us. Christ, the only one who gives growth, who gives his spirit, who gives his word, who gives wisdom, who gives his mind to us. Verse 8, all the apostles and ministers would say this in unison, because we are one. Notice that in verse 8, he who plants and he who waters are one. They're in agreement. He who plants, which is Paul, he who waters, which is Apollos, are one. They're unified in message, mindset, outlook. Paul would say amen. Apollos would say amen. Every minister since then would say amen. It's a part of why it's so immature to follow certain human beings. Any human minister worth listening to would say this, don't you dare follow me. You follow Christ and only Christ. Apostles came and went. Reformers came and went. Ministers have come and gone. But the work of Christ continues because it's his church. And he reaches the world with the gospel through his missionaries. Verse 9, Paul ends with three illustrations. God's fellow workers, God's field, and God's building. The central truth of all three illustrations is that we belong to God. It's about him. He is the possessor of, the, the one to whom we belong. The work we do is Christ's work. The, the work belongs to Christ. The field belongs to Christ. The building up of the church, the worldwide church, belongs to God. We're not about any individual superstar. A building is not about one fancy brick. A building is about many, many, many regular bricks. And together, they make a building. There's one cornerstone. Christ is our cornerstone. Let's try to illustrate this. When, when have you seen a picture of a president where the Secret Service agent is photobombing? He's smiling and doing one of these from behind. When, when have you seen a, a, a picture of a president where the Secret Service agent is posing for the media? It would be silly. He'd probably lose his job. 
Because we all understand the Secret Service agent is on the job and he's being considered invisible because he's not about the picture. He's about keeping the man safe. That's how Christians have to be considered. When does the Christian draw attention to himself or herself? I'm Apollos. Look at me. Follow me. No way. Apollos would never do that because they all understand Apollos is on the job. And Apollos is to be considered invisible. And Paul is to be considered invisible. All eyes on Christ. And Paul is reminding them of this. It's like milk. Duh. We know this. We taught this. It's in all of our hymnology. Yes. But if you need reminder, you need reminder. He's reminding the church in Corinth these basic things before he gets to deeper, more difficult, and taxing topics. What have we seen? Christ warned us about immaturity in his fellow workers. Spiritually mature, milk-fed, fleshly, of jealousy and strife. Over-loyalty to certain persons is a sign of immaturity. And the mature know their place. And support. All glory going to God. My conclusion is this. Be patient with God's co-workers. Be patient with God's co-workers. I'll try to illustrate. Uh, architect uh, Frank Lloyd Wright once told of an incident that may have seemed insignificant at the time, but it had a profound influence on the rest of his life. The winter that Frank Lloyd Wright was only nine years old is when this happened. He went walking across a snow-covered field with his reserved and no-nonsense uncle. The two of them left from one part of the field, and when they arrived at the other side of the field, his uncle stopped him and turned the boy around, and the uncle turned around as well, and he says, Look at our tracks across the snowy field now. The uncle pointed out his own tracks in the snow, straight as an arrow. His uncle then pointed out the tracks of the young boy, meandering all over the field. And his uncle said this, Notice how your tracks wander aimlessly from the fence to the cattle, to the woods, and back again. See how my tracks directly to the goal. There's an important lesson in that. And they walked on. Fast forward years later, the nine-year-old Frank Lloyd Wright grows up and becomes the world-famous architect, and he's asked to speak to groups and talk to people about his success and share a little bit. So he'd like to tell this experience, and he would tell the story, how greatly it contributed to his philosophy in life. And he would say this with a twinkle in his eye. I determined right then and there when I was nine years old, I'm not going to miss out on the things in life like my uncle did. Now, you might not understand why the illustration fits with the sermon. And here it is. Don't be the uncle. You're not in charge of God's fellow workers. God is. You're not in charge of God's co-workers, as my title of the sermon says. God is. It's a key mindset for the church, unity. You see someone wandering about the field of God and you become personally annoyed that he or she doesn't walk that straight line because you do. We ought not to assume that we know what God is doing in other people's lives and with their service to Christ. All three of these closing illustrations have that emphasis. God's fellow workers, God's field, God's building. We're all in it. His field, we're the one building that God is constructing. Actually, the word here for building is more like in the process of constructing. You can almost translate it God's project. 
because he's continuing to construct. The same for the field. It's, it's as if the field is still growing. It's God's garden, God's growth project. We all work for Christ. We take our orders from him. We're all co-workers of Christ. And therefore, we are co-workers of one another in the kingdom of God. We each have a part to fulfill. Some play viola. Some make desserts. Some make everyone feel welcome. And some go out as missionaries. And some send missionaries and remember to support them and keep praying for our missionaries. And some plant and some water and only God who causes the increase. We're all pieces of art, remember. Not yet finished. Called to be patient with each other. We must have the planting of the word of Christ. We must have the watering of the word of Christ. But it all amounts to nothing without the germinating, life-giving ministry of the Spirit of Christ. And we need a lot of workers in the field of God. The upbuilding of the church of Jesus Christ on earth around the world. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus famously said, I will build my church. And he does that with a lot of different people. At Christ's death and resurrection, we have each been brought into the church as unfinished art projects of God. The phrase in verse 1, I draw your attention to again now at the end, in Christ. I should say how many times, class? 166 times Paul writes the phrase, in Christ. In Christ is central and significant. It refers to his death and resurrection resulting in the fact that by his gift of salvation and gift of faith, you and I are found in Christ. We are in Christ. We can expound on that and say we're God's fellow workers, we're God's field, we're God's building. That's the good news which we've gathered tonight to celebrate. Be patient with God's co-workers. Let's pray. Father, give us patience with your